What's going on, everybody? It's Tevin back with another podcast. Okay, this podcast is special because this one might be the only one that's useful to you because all I'm going to do is read from the notes that I have been gotten. That I have been gotten. Damn! I should not should be doing more English. But yeah, I'm just going to be reading from my notes about Americana. This is just a summary of every chapter and hopefully I can finish this in an hour. I'll make it half an hour each so it's easy to listen to. Um, I'll give my short, short thoughts on the chapter at the end of every chapter. Hopefully I'll try to, so you don't really need to listen to those. But yeah, I'm just going to read and here we go. Part 1, Chapter 1. Ifumelu, a Nigerian woman living in Princeton, New Jersey, must travel to another town to get her hair braided properly. She likes Princeton, but its population is mostly white. And so there are no hairdressers there who know how to braid her hair. She gets on the train and looks around at the passengers, wondering if they would make good subjects for the lifestyle blog she used to run, which was called Race Teeth or Various Observations About American Blacks, those formerly known as N-word, I'm not going to say the N-word, by a non-American black. She used to interview random people. She found herself on public transportation with about racial issues and their opinions. Her blog became very popular. But Ifumelu has recently decided to quit writing it. She wonders if this was a good decision. As the train leaves Princeton and arrives in Trenton, many more black passengers get on. She noticed something similar when she took the New York subway system. How some places were full of slim, white people and others with fat, black people. Ifumelu thinks about how she has stopped saying fat since living in America. Recently, a man at the grocery store called Ifumelu fat. And later, she looked in the mirror and accepted that this was true. Ifumelo had recently become dissatisfied with a successful blog, her healthy relationship with her boyfriend Blaine and her general life in America. She found herself longing for Nigeria and thinking about her first love, her old boyfriend, Obinze. After the rude stranger at the supermarket insulted her, Ifumelo found herself goaded into action. When her academic fellowship at Princeton ended, she told Blaine that she was moving back home to Nigeria. Ifumelu and Blaine had been together for three years, especially bonding over their shared enthusiasm for Barack Obama. Blaine could only ask why when she told him she was leaving, despite the fact that he is a professor who always looks at the complex reasons behind things. Ifumelu felt guilty, but had always known that Blaine could not give her what she needed in life. Back in the present, Ifumelu gets off the train and takes a taxi to her hair braiding salon. She is so relieved that her taxi driver is a Nigerian, as Nigerian taxi drivers always like to boast about their success in America to her, or else look resentful that she seems so successful. Ifumelu has never been to the salon before, but she knows it'll look all like all it'll look like all of the other African hair braiding salons she has been to. They arrive and Ifumelu goes into the salon. The three women working there are Mariama, Halima, and Aisha. Ifumelu haggles with Mariama and Mari. Mariama and Mariama says that Aisha will do her hair. It is very hot inside and there's no air conditioning. A Nigerian movie is playing on the TV. Mariama says that she she and Halima are from Mali, while Aisha is from Senegal. Halima gives Ifumelu the special smile that Ifumelu recognizes as being only for fellow Africans. Ifumelu tries to read the novel she has brought, 
but it's too hot to concentrate. Mariama apologizes and says that the air conditioner broke yesterday, but Ifumelo knows that this isn't true. It probably broke long before, or never worked at all. Aisha finishes the customers she's working on. She asks Ifumelo what color of hair her attachment she wants, and disapproves when Ifumelo requests a more natural color than the usual pure black. Aisha asks Ifumelo why she doesn't relax her hair with chemicals, and Ifumelo finds herself preaching as she often does to black women, about keeping her hair the way God made it, and how it can be combed if it's properly moisturized. Ifumelo brought her own comb and combs her hair herself. Aisha snorts derivatively, derisively, and then starts to braid Ifumelo's hair. They watch the TV, and Aisha asks Ifumelo if she knows the Nigerian actors. Ifumelo says she doesn't. Aisha says that the Nigerian films, Nollywood, used to be bad but now are good and Ifumelo is pleased to hear Nigeria praised. She has been looking for good omens about her decision to return home, as everyone she knows seems to think she is making a bad decision. Only her old friend in Lagos, Raniyandu, Raniyanudu, that guy, yeah, fucking, well, seems pleased. Raniyanudu was, was the one who had told Ifumelo about Abinze's marriage, newfound wealth, and child. Ifumelu, overcome with emotion, had sent, had then sent Abunze an email of the years of silence between them. He had responded, but she had an answer back. Aisha asked Ifumelu if she knew Yoruba, and is surprised to hear that she is Igbo, two of the three main ethnic groups in Nigeria. Aisha says she is dating two Igbo men right now, and she wants to marry either one, but they both say that Igbo people can only marry other Igbo. Ifumelu is amused by this and says that Igbo people marry all kinds of people. Aisha talks more, and in describing her sister, she says, Africa, instead of a specific country. Ifumelu points this out, and Aisha says that she has learned to just say Africa, or else Americans will be confused. Aisha asks how long Ifumelu has been in America, but Ifumelu decides that she doesn't like Aisha. So she ignores the question and checks her phone. She then feels suddenly reckless and composes an email to Abinze, sending it off without rereading it. Aisha refuses to be discouraged and repeats her question. If Amelia says 15 years, it has only been 13, but, is she, but she is used to lying about this because Africans in America respect you more the longer you've been there, and Aisha is impressed. Aisha asks where Ifumelu lives and then looks intimidated when she says Princeton. Ifumelu takes a perverse pleasure in this. She tells Aisha that she is moving back to Nigeria next week, but Aisha can't understand why she would do this after 15 years in America. Ifumelu thinks of how her family and friends have wondered if she can cope with living in Nigeria again, as if America has fundamentally changed her. She hasn't told her parents that she broke up with Blaine, instead saying that he, wouldn't, he would be following her after a few weeks. If Ifumelu lies to Aisha and says that she is going to Nigeria to see her man, and Aisha finally accepts this as a good reason. Aisha then declares that she will invite her two boyfriends to come talk to Ifumelu, so Ifumelu can tell them that Igbo people don't always have to marry other Igbo. Ifumelu tries to dissuade her, but people don't understand, don't, but people, but Aisha is persistent. Sorry. Ifumelu thinks about how this would be a good subject for a blog post about how the pressures of immigrant life can make you act crazy.
I think what I learned from this chapter is that like Ifumelu was a more of a listener and a watcher and she didn't really like interacting with people unless it was like came against her beliefs as when Aisha said that oh she's from Africa and then Ifumelu pointed out that like oh, oh no 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 it's not just Africa it's a certain country such as Nigeria I think that's what I learned from this chapter basically all but yeah Let's get on to the next chapter. Chapter 2 Meanwhile, Abinze, who is stuck in traffic in Lagos, Nigeria, receives Ifumela's email and reads it. In it, she congratulates him on his child and says that she is moving back to Nigeria. She calls him Sealing, her old nickname for him. Abinze remembers her other emails, especially the one that had mentioned Blaine, Blaine the black American she was dating. Abunze had then jealously researched Blaine, who was a lecturer at Yale and seemed overly pretentious to Abunze. Abunze had responded to that email somewhat sarcastically and then later asked about keeping in touch, but Ifemelu had never written back. Abunze's driver, Gabriel, complains about the beggars in the street, but Abunze is suddenly in a good mood because of Ifemelu's email. He remembers the first time they touched each other sexually and how afterwards, he, she said her eyes were open, but she couldn't see the ceiling. After that, they used ceiling as a euphemism, and later, in university, when they actually started having sex, Ifemelu started calling Abinze ceiling. Their friends would ask why, but she would always give a joking answer. Abinze wonders if she saw the ceiling with Blaine. Abinze's wife, Corsi, calls him, reminding him that they have a party that night with a man named Chief. Obinze arrives home to his huge house and thinks about his daughter, Bucci, and all his new possessions, and the flat comfort of his current life. Kosi greets him, and he thinks of how beautiful she is. People always compliment her beauty, asking if she is a half-white, and Obinze is uncomfortable with how much Kosi enjoys these racial compliments. Bucci, who is a toddler, runs up to greet Obinze. Kosi asks him about work. He rents and sells property, and Obinze lies vaguely and is then disappointed when Corsi doesn't question further. She is only concerned with his work as far as it maintains the comfortable conditions of their life. Abinze isn't looking forward to Chief's party, but he must go because Chief is the one who first brought Abinze his success. Abinze remembers when he first came back from England years earlier, depressed about what had happened to him there. He stayed with his cousin, Nioma, but soon she got impatient with him and made him apply for jobs. Obunze had no like, had no luck, and then Nioma decided to introduce him to Chief, a very rich man whom Nioma had rejected romantically, but who still liked her and sometimes did her favors. Nioma took Obunze to Chief's extravagant home. Chief flirted with Nioma, who introduced him to Obunze. For the rest of the evening, Chief held court, talking at length about whatever he liked, while his guests agreed with him and laughed at his jokes. Obinze would later learn that almost all Nigerian big men and big women acted like this. Obinze was, al was almost amused at how transparent the flattery of Chief was, but Chief seemed to like it. He invited Obinze to come see him again in a week. Obinze kept going back for several weeks, and Nioma told him to just keep hanging around Chief until something good happened for him. Obinze was fascinated by how unsubtle the hierarchy was with Chief and his guests. Anyone with money was supposed to be flattered, and anyone with less money was always supposed to flatter. 
To have money, it seemed, was to be consumed by money. Obunze pitied them, but also wanted to be one of them. One day, Obunze spoke up and offered his services to help Chief. Chief sized Obunze up and then gave a speech about how he was friends with all the Nigerian leaders, Babangida, Abacha, and now President Obasanjo. And he, and so, he has insider information about everything. Chief told Obunze that he was going to buy seven properties that were listed as being worth one million each. But he knew that they were really worth 50 million and he will resell them as such. He said that Obunze should front this deal and Obunze accepted this offer. Nyoma was excited about this and told Obunze how it would work out. He would soon start his own company buying properties and reselling them. Once he gets successful, she said, he must find one of his white friends from England and make him his general manager just for show. Because then even more doors will open for him. Nyoma declares that this is how Nigeria works. It did indeed turn out the way Nyoma described, and Obunze was amazed by how easy it suddenly was to make huge amounts of money. Years earlier, he had always been refused an American visa, but now that he was rich, he got one easily. Obunze always wondered why Chief decided to help him instead of the many other visitors always asking him for favors. Back in the present, Kosi leads Obinze through the guests at Chief's party. She is very socially adept and always agreeable. Obinze sometimes finds her constant agreeableness and modesty to be immodest, as it announced itself. They started talking to a group of people who are discussing sending their children to French and British schools. Obinze mentions that they all grew up with the Nigerian curriculum, and everyone looks politely confused. Obinze used to always admire people with rich families and foreign accents but he no longer does. A party guest declares that it would be a disadvantage to send a child to an inferior Nigerian school instead of a British, French or American one. Corsi defuses any argument by agreeing with them and Obunze at the same time. Obunze notes that she always chose peace over truth, was always eager to conform. Obunze squeezes her hand in apology knowing that he should have kept his mouth shut and let the conversation continue smoothly. They reach Chief, who greets them expansively. Obunze wonders if Chief has ever propositioned Corsi as he does so many women. A group of men clusters around Chief, trying to be the first to compliment and laugh at his jokes. Obunze drifts away from Corsi and talks to a young journalist named Yemus. Obunze tries to discuss books with him, but discovers that the college-educated educa Yemas only likes books with big words in them. Obunze considers other careers he could have had, like a teacher. Obunze returns to Corsi. He wants to go home and write an email back to Ifemelu. He wonders if Blaine is coming with her to Nigeria. Obunze remembers how he and Ifemelu used to hold hands. He remembers when he most recently ran into Ifemelu's friend Ranyanudu at the mall. Ran Yenudu had called him the Zed, his old nickname, and gushed about his new success and how humble he was. Obunze considered humble just because he isn't ostentatious with his wealth. He doesn't like this attitude, however, as it seems to normalize the rudeness of the rich. He and Corsi leave the party. Obunze and Corsi return home, where their house girl, Maria, has cooked a meal. Obunze remembers the girl who preceded Maria. As soon as she arrived, Corsi went through a bag and was horrified to find condoms inside. The girl had quietly said that in her last job, her employer's husband would force herself himself on her. 
Kosi immediately sent her away angrily. Abunza felt sorry for the girl and wondered how Kosi didn't. Abunza then realized that Kosi felt insecure about the house call. Kosi was worried that worried whenever Abunza associated with a single woman as the culture of materialistic, seductive women in Lagos had made her constantly afraid that Abunze would cheat on her. Abunze had reassured her, but since their marriage, Kosi had grown to dislike all single women, and had also grown more religious. Abunze once found out that Kosi had been to a prayer service for keeping your husband. Abunze goes into his study and listens to Fela, a famous Nigerian musician. He remembers listening to Fela with Ifemelu. Obinze carefully composes an email to Ifemelu. He doesn't mention Corsi, even though he knows Ifemelu knows about it. Obinze sends the email and immediately feels both nervous and weary. He looks out the window and imagines himself floating away. I realize that my opinion really doesn't matter, so I'm not going to give it. I'm just going to carry it reading. Okay, let's go with chapter 3. Back at the hair salon, Mariama leaves to pick up Chinese food for everyone. Ifemelu says she doesn't want anything as she has a granola bar to eat, and the other women are surprised and dismissive of this, until they learn that Ifemelu has been in America for 15 years. As soon as Mariama leaves, Aisha takes out her cell phone and makes a call. She says that one of her boyfriends can come and talk to Ifemelu about marrying Aisha. Aisha asks if Ifemelu can speak Igbo, Igbo sorry, and Ifemelu defensively says yes. Ifemelu slips into a memory about her mother's hair when she was growing up in Lagos, Nigeria. It was long, thick, and beautiful, and people always complimented it. One day, when Ifemelu was ten, her mother comes home and cuts off all of her hair. She puts it in a bag along with all the Catholic objects in their house and burns it. She comes back inside and tells Ifemelu that she has been saved and is going to a new church. After that day, Ifemelu's mother becomes super religious and often starves herself as part of her prayers. Ifemelu's father remains an agnostic respecter of religion, but he humors his wife's seeming madness, even one Easter when she declares that she sees an angel and runs out of the apartment. She comes back in and says that the angel told her to go to a different church. Ifemelu's mother starts going to a, new, to a different church and later sees another angel and switches churches again. At a new church, the rules are more relaxed, and though she remains enthusiastically religious, she is less obsessed with what is sinful. Ifemelu's father makes Ifemelu wake up early to pray with him, as it makes her mother happy. At the new church, Ifemelu is already suspicious that God is not the reason for the pastor's big house and many cars, but she is pleased that her mother is eating again. As all of this is going on, Ifemelu's father's sister, Auntie Uju, becomes the mistress of the general, a powerful military man who buys her, her car and creates a new job for her at the hospital. Ifemelu's mother sees all this sees all this through the lens of her faith, however, and calls the general's auntie Uju mentor, mentor, insisting that all her new financial success is a miracle. Auntie Uju has a medical degree, and only weeks earlier she had been unemployed, until she went to her friend's wedding and met the general. He told her, I like you. I want to take care of you. Ifemelu's father is fired from his job at the federal agency for refusing to call his new boss, Mummy. He searches for work for a long time, but is unsuccessful. When his wife disparages him for losing his job in the first place, he takes her words to heart. Ifemelu feels sorry for him. He has always longed to get graduate degrees, but has been forced to work his whole life to support his siblings instead. He uses big words in English. 
which impresses many people. But if Amela comes to learn that this is a costume, a way of pretending to be what he is not, he grows more and more depressed, and if Amela knows that he regrets not calling his boss Mummy. One Sunday morning, the landlord comes by, angry that if Amela's father hasn't paid the rent. If Amela's mother then comes home from the church wearing makeup that is one shade too light. She takes Ifamela to church to do Sunday's work, making fundraising materials or decorating for a holiday. This work is run by Sister Ibinabo, a powerful woman in the church whom everyone respects and fears. Sister Ibinabo orders Ifamela to join a group making garlands for a rich man named Chief Omenka. Ifamela declares that she won't decorate for a thief, as Chief Omenka and many of the church's wealthy members and donors are 419 men or people who have gotten rich through fraud and scamming. Sister Ibinabo says that this work is still God's work, and she orders Ifamela to leave. Ifamela goes outside and waits for her mother to pick her up, knowing that she will be in trouble. Like everyone else, Ifamela usually says nothing about the dirty money that runs the church, but today she was feeling especially repulsed by Sister Ibinabo's religiosity as a cover for materialism and pettiness. If Amela sees the same thing in her own mother, cloaking worldly desires in religion to make them seem more acceptable. If Amela's mother is angry and takes her home, Auntie Uju comes to visit and if Amela's mother tells her to give If Amela a talking to. Auntie Uju and If Amela have always been very close, as Uju seems to understand when if Amela, understand if Amela better than her own mother. Uju is If Amela's father's, father's sister whom he helped leave their home and village, come to Lagos with him. Eventually, she went on to university. Auntie Uju sits with Efemelu and reminds her that she can't always speak her mind. Efemelu asks her why her mother can't accept that Auntie Uju's gifts are from the general and must insist they are from God. Uju says that they still might be from God. Efemelu remembers stories about her own childhood, how Auntie Uju could calm her down when she was having a tantrum. Uju helped her all her life, including when she met Abunze, the true love of her life. Chapter 4 When Ifemelo is a teenager, Abunze comes to her school from Nisaka. He lives with his mother, who was a professor at the university at Nisaka. The rumor is she was forced to leave after physically fighting with a male professor. Abunze quickly becomes one of the big guys, the cool group at school. The leader of this group is Coyote who decides to set Abunze up with Janika, Ifemelu's best friend and the second most popular girl in school. Abunze and Janika seem destined to be together, based on the hierarchy of popularity at the school. At a party at Coyote's huge mansion, Coyote introduces Abunze to Janika, who is there with Ifemelu. Coyote makes small talk, expecting Abunze to start talking to Janika, but Abunze seems more interested in Ifemelu. Ifemelu has a sudden realization that she wanted to breathe the same air as Abinze. They start talking and Abinze invites her to dance. Ifemela goes with him, suddenly understanding all the romantic cliches she had assumed were false in books. Ifemela and Abinze dance and then go outside to talk. Abinze tells her about his childhood and what happened with his mother at the university. She publicly accused another professor of misusing university funds and he slapped her. She wrote articles about this guy and got so many students involved and now she is on a sabbatical. Ifemelu says Abunze will be in trouble with his friends, as he is supposed to be chasing Janika. Abunze replies with, I'm chasing you. 
Ifemele will always remember that moment. Obunze and Ifemele discuss books. Obunze loves American literature and the classics, while Ifemele only likes crime novels and thrillers. Ifemele asks him what Coyotes had said about her. Obunze says he heard that Ifemele was too much trouble and he should go for a sweet girl, like Janika, instead. Obunze wanted someone independent, so he liked hearing that about Ifemele. He puts his arm around Ifemele and she feels suddenly comfortable with herself. It seems totally natural for them to be together, even though they hardly know each other. Ifemelu and Abinze keep talking and flirting, and Ifemelu is surprised to hear that Abinze knows so many Igbo, pro- Igbo proverbs. As most boys try to only speak English so as to be impressive, they kiss. Later, Abinze would say that it was love at first sight, and Ifemelu would try to deny it but couldn't. After this party, the two become inseparable. Abunze joins in Ifemelu's extracurricular activities while Ifemelu joins Abunze's. Ifemelu feels so close to Abunze that sometimes she worries she is too happy and her joy will one day fly away. Chapter 5 After Coyote's party, Janika and Ifemelu feel awkward around each other, even though Ifemelu apologizes and Janika isn't angry. Soon afterward, Janika's family decides to move to America, however, and in their last weeks together, Janika's friendship with Ifemelu is restored. Once at Janika's house, Ifemelu hears her father say that the current government is treating people like sheep, so she must so he must leave if he is to do any real research instead of just organizing strikes. Janika doesn't want to leave her friends and go to America. Ranyanudu says that maybe she'll come back and be an Americana like another girl who came back from America with an affected new accent. Almost everyone is jealous of Janika, however, especially Emnike one of the big guys, who pretends to be rich even though everyone knows he isn't. Ifemelu feels uncomfortable in the discussion about foreign travel, as her family is too poor to have ever travelled. Obunze, on the other hand, seems worldly and comfortable among the rich, popular students. She is obsessed with American culture, and whenever he wants to compliment Ifemelu's appearance, he says, She looks like a black American. He tries to get Ifemelu interested in American literature, but she doesn't like any of it. Sometimes, Ifemelu feels insecure and thinks that Abunze would be better off with the wealthy, well-traveled Janika. One day, Abunze tells Ifemelu that his mother wants him wants to meet her. Ifemelu is surprised, as usually kids their age keep any dating secret from their parents. Ifemelu is nervous but comes to Abunze's flat. She meets Abunze's mother and is surprised by her beauty and confident intelligence. Abunze banters easily with his mother and they discuss literature and her romantic life. Ifemelu is shocked and thinks of how, compared to Abunze's mother, her father's big word, world, words seem pretentious and crude, and her mother pr- provincial and small. Abunze cooked the meal, and Ifemelu admits that she doesn't ever cook at home. After that, Ifemelu often visits Abunze's mother at her apartment. One day, the three of them are watching a movie, and then Abunze's mother leaves to go pick up her allergy medicine. Immediately, Abunze and Ifemelu pause the movie and start kissing and touching each other, on his bed. They return to the living room when they hear Abunze's mother's cars and press play on the movie. Abunze's mother walks in and notices that no time has passed in the movie. She calls Ifemelu to the bedroom to talk. Abunze's mother discusses sex, frankly, with the embarrassed Ifemelu. She says that she knows how it is to be young and in love, but nature is unfair to women, and so she tells so she would wait to have sex with Abunze until they are at least in university. 
Vince's mother tells her familiar to tell her when they do start having sex, so she can make sure they're being responsible. Ifemelu nods, thinking that the whole scene feels surreal, especially the absence of shame or secrecy in Abunze's mother's voice. Later, Abunze is embarrassed about his mother's directness, but he and Ifemelu joke about it. That was ten chapters, I mean five chapters, chapters one through five. Hope you enjoyed that. I'll post the next soon.